Coaches, welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Collective Podcast. I'm Dan Casey here with Derek Perkins and Chris Maleo, and we're excited to be back with you again this week. And we put a poll out on Twitter and we're asking coaches, you know, what what topic do you want us to cover this week? And um, the overwhelming majority of the coaches that responded to that poll really wanted us to talk about the coaching interview process. And so that's that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about some of the interviews that we've been on, some of the mistakes that we've made. Um, even as head coaches, um, interviewing people for coordinator or position coaching uh, jobs, and yeah, just some pieces of advice and uh, words of caution uh, along the way as you as you work your way through this incredible coaching industry that can be confusing and frustrating as well. Definitely. Before we start, I want to make a, do a quick shout out. Um, we said we were going to do this last episode. We totally spaced on it, but. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's listening. Coach Mark Tressman, uh, former head coach of the Chicago Bears, great football mind, great offensive mind. Uh, coach Tressman, we want to thank you so much for the letter you sent us. You wrote us Absolutely. a handwritten note. It was so thoughtful, uh, just kind of related to the podcast and how much you enjoy it. And uh, hopefully you're hearing this and we're, we're just so grateful for you and your, uh, you know, that the fact that you're supporting us the way that you are. So thank you for that. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, for sure. And on top of that, I mean, the, the countless numbers of DMs all of us have gotten and uh, reviews on the podcast. It's, uh, it's been really cool to connect with a lot of people and um, have the conversation. It's just like we're, we're constantly reminded. It's like uh, we started doing this to get guys to start to, to think outside the box. And I think, yeah, yeah, I, I think some people have been challenged to do that. So um, it's really been, been cool to connect with the guys and uh, keep the conversation going. No doubt. Yeah, well, I mean, as you if you've been listening to the podcast at all, you know that we each each of us, myself, Derek, and Chris, were all high school head football coaches at, at very young ages, um, and we had to navigate kind of breaking in. And one of the questions that I get constantly from young coaches, in particular, is, you know, coach, how do I how do I get my start? Like, how do I get on? Whether it's a high school staff or you know, get a graduate assistant role or different things like that. And uh, you know, I think a lot of young coaches in particular are interested in kind of breaking into coaching to begin with. And, you know, before we jumped on, Chris was talking a little bit about differentiating yourself. Chris, do you want to explain a little bit more about what you mean as, as a young coach, as an up and comer in the profession, what does it look like to, to differentiate yourself from the countless other folks that also want that job? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think it's something that everyone kind of needs to ask themselves internally is, you know, you have to understand, I think the coaching profession in general, and I, you know, I made this reference earlier, very similar to Hollywood, right? There are a lot of talented actors and actresses out there. They're all vying for similar roles and it's only going to go to a select few. And the coaching profession, whether it's at the high school, collegiate or pro level, uh, it's, it only continues to get more and more competitive. And I, you know, I think a lot of times there's this assumption that like, oh yeah, I can coach high school football. Well, you know, we, we have great reverence for high school football. We've talked about it on the show. I, I know for many, many high school football coaches that are better than, you know, that are more a talented coaches than certain coaches that are coaching in the NFL or even college uh, or college or even the NFL. But the, I think what you have to understand is you're, you're never gifted anything in this game. Right. And so whether you're a player and or a coach, and so you have to really figure out ways to differentiate yourself because wanting a job and saying, I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can for you, right. coach, is not a differentiator, right? You have to, under, you have to, I, mean, I think you have to really, there, there has to be a, 
a clear reference here into understanding that you cannot convey your emotion and passion through an email that's going to have an impact on a head coach looking to hire a certain position. It's just not going to work. Like, and I think that oftentimes that's a mistake that people made. Like, I'm going to work my butt off for you. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Well, like everyone makes that same promise right. and everyone makes that same guarantee. So it doesn't differentiate you in, by any stretch of the means. Now, if you can do things technologically, if you can do things from an organizational chart standpoint, if you can do things with practice plans, like if you can do things to streamline processes and you can do things to make a head coach, an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator's life more efficient so yes. that they can focus on the main thing, you have done then just added value and made yourself incredibly attractive as a candidate. And that's what the focus should be on. Yes. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, I think that's perfectly said. And it's all about, you know, what is the value add of you being on a staff? Mm. And, you know, one of the best pieces of advice that I got was that if, if you're ever talking to someone in a position of leadership, your pitch should be, here are the things that I can take off your desk. And you certainly mm. don't want to be the person that's putting more things on the leader's desk. If you're the type of person that's creating issues, creating problems, or um, you know, not taking care of business, uh, you you lower yourself in terms of the value you have. But if you're taking things off of a coach's plate, you instantly provide value to that coach um, or or to that program um, that that they otherwise didn't didn't have. And I think that's a huge way to differentiate yourself. Like you were saying, Chris, you know, what are those special skills that you bring to the table that you're willing to contribute to the program? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I remember Chris when we first started doing this. Um, you showed us a uh, a a book that you had put together for a certain program, and uh, essentially breaking down every quarterback on their roster. And it was like, and it, and it was really well done, well thought out. And I was like, I mean, something like that. If I was a head coach or a coordinator, high school college and if i mean if a guy brought me something like that where it's like all right he's he's doing something above and beyond aside from saying yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna work really hard and we can also talk about how much time we've all wasted um trying to get <laughs> jobs uh, literally sending that same message whether it be a handwritten letter or an email to every coach in the country it, it, you, you're, you're wasting your time but chris i, I think it's a, it's a good example um explain explain that uh the the packet that you put together because it was pretty yeah, cool so um you know i was i i had been put in a position where i could potentially be uh, you know being a position coach at a college level and it was a power five program and the coach that was interviewing for the job you know had a ton of professional football experience and what i did was i broke down their roster their quarterbacks as if i was grading them based on their high school film. So I was grading them as recruits and I wrote a very detailed breakdown based on certain metrics. And I, and I, I put myself out there because I essentially said that I wouldn't offer certain guys that they had offered that were currently on their team. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, made reference to that and, but it went over incredibly well and it was something that was different. And, it, you know, it had an impact and it's something that I've actually done, you know, at other places, you know, at post doing that. And it, and I, I know there was one coach who used it. He took it with him. I, he was interviewing for a job and I sent it to him before he interviewed for the job and he used it in his interview. 
um, because that's how much value he found in that, you know, and I think, and that's, look, that's, you know, that was something that I put together and that was fine. And that was unique. And that was something that was a way that I thought I could differentiate myself and provide value for a coach. And there's a lot of guys that are doing a lot of unique things. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll use this example because he's, he listens to the show Colt Peavy, who's a phenomenal football coach. He's the offense coordinator at Ferris high school in Texas. Colt was a, a, a graduate assistant at the university of Arizona and good friend of mine, known his family and his dad for a long time. Colt gets, you know, they, they, they transition that staff, uh, Jed fish comes in and they basically, the writing's on the wall. They're going to, you know, he probably is, is going to be let go. He's a graduate assistant. So he called me up and he asked me, Hey, what should I do? And I said, well, look on your way out, you've got nothing, nothing to lose, but why don't you do this? Uh, Jed fish came in from the new England Patriots. Why don't you break down 10 core concepts from the new England Patriots, put it on paper um, you know, do it, you, you know, however you want to do it and then go sit down with coach fish and ask him about those concepts. And then also do a, cause he was a, a, a GA for the wide receiver room. Also write a scouting report of the wide receiver room and how it projects next year. And so Colt bought that into coach fish's office in which was an initial meeting in which they were going to just let him go. And it turned into like a two, three hour interview, like conversation. And I, you know, I wasn't there, but, uh, you know, per my conversation with Colt, he was like, it, it changed the way he looked at me and it yeah. changed the value and what he saw. A lot of guys just marched into that room and they were like, Hey, I'm about to hang from this noose. I'm done. This is it. But then he saw that I could bring value. Eventually coach, like, like I said, Colt got let go. Um, and you know, he's doing a phenomenal job where he's at right now, but it was a differentiating factor for him. It was something different. It was something unique and coach fish had never seen it before. And actually even said to him, like, did you figure this out on your own? Did you do this on your own? Cause this is really impressive. And this is a guy who's coming from the bill Belichick coaching chart. Right. So, um, uh, you know, I think there's just things you have to think, you have to think outside the box. You have to think outside the box as a coach, but you even more so have to think about that in an interview. Yeah. And I, and I think you have to consider as well as you're going into these situations that getting, getting a no does not mean that, uh, you haven't done a good job in that particular interview. Like there are so many factors involved in that. And we've talked to so many guys that, you know, have, have these different interviews that come up. And I think, you know, early on each of us, as we were, you know, presented with different opportunities, I know me and myself in particular, I would, I would take things really personally if, you know, I didn't make it to the second round of an interview or if it didn't end up getting offered a job or something like that, I would, I would take it really personally. And I think as I've gotten older, I've kind of realized that there are so many factors that go into making these decisions. And the best thing that I can do is try to create connections through these opportunities. And you just never know, like down the road, um, what these connections may lead to. Like you may make a positive impact on a coach. And even though he doesn't hire you, he's going to recommend your name down the road. And so I think it's important to keep kind of a big perspective as you go through the interview process that you realize, you know, a lot of these decisions, they're not it's not a personal, you know, validation or invalidation of you as a coach. There are a lot of factors that go into the decisions that are made. And the best thing you can do is try to maintain good connections because you just never know how they can present themselves down the road. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. Like sure. I'll, I'll give you an example. I mean, for that, that's a great point, Dan. Um, and it's it, no decision, as you as you said, like they're not made in vacuums. When people hire coaches, head coaches, there are so many factors not related just to your strength because there's a variety of candidates that they're looking at that there like has to be a fit model. There's politics that come into play, whether people want to admit it or not. 
So as Dan said, you shouldn't take it personal, but figuring out ways to create value long-term and then leaving a positive impression on people, I think is, is incredibly, you know, unique. I know I got my head coaching job at, you know, the petty school for that exact reason. Like I, I happen to be representing a coach, my head coach at a coach's meeting. And I was just there as the, I was an offensive coordinator at the time. I was representing the head coach at a coach's meeting and the, the athletic director at a rival school had happened to be there and saw me speak about something on behalf of our team and basically earmarked me as somebody that he wanted to hire as a head coach. And it yeah. just, and that's what it turned into. Yeah. I mean, I think we each have unique stories of how we kind of got in, I guess, got in the driver's seat at a young age. I know for myself, I, uh, I, I remember trying to break into coaching and one of the first things I did after I graduated college is I, you know, I moved to Durham, North Carolina, and I, I literally emailed every single high school coach in the vicinity. And I was just like, Hey, I will come, I will volunteer. I'll work for free. I'll do anything you want. Like I literally emailed everybody, never got a response. Um, and I was just like, come on, like I played in college, like I have credentials, I guess, you know, in, in terms of just trying to break into high school coaching. Um, and then I just get this random call from a school in Raleigh, you know, they're about to start their season and wanted to bring me in as a DB coach. Great. Okay. So I, you know, coach the year as a DB and then all of a sudden we go into the off season, the head coach moves on and all of a sudden I'm interviewing for a head coaching job at 24 years old. And it's just, you just never, you never know the kind of path that, uh, you're going to take or, or what it's going to lead to. And it's easy. I think if you're, uh, it's easy to get discouraged when nobody responds to your email or nobody responds to your letter and think, you know, again, like I used to take those things personally, like, how could you, you know, stand me up like that? But the reality is like, people just have a lot going on. And so a lot of times them not getting back to you is not necessarily personal. Um, but eventually it kind of leads to these right opportunities. And if you acquit yourself well, in the time that you're given with the responsibility you're given, your responsibility will always increase. That's one of the things I've noticed. If you do a great job with what you've been given, your responsibility will always increase. Right. You know, and uh, we talked about it before too. It's like, and we'll, we've, we've all admitted, like we've wasted a ton of time, like looking for the next job, trying to apply for the next job. And half the time you'll see a job that's open and you don't, you don't know the politics going on behind the scenes. So, I mean, right. that post could be out there and it's like, you're probably wasting your time because they already know who's 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 going to get the gig. So I look back and it's like, man, I know I wasted a lot of time looking for the next thing when it was like, if I would have just shut up and like put my head down, been some been happy where I was at and, and really taken more advantage of that, who knows what else could have happened. Totally. Totally. So I just, I, th I think so many guys get so caught up in, and wanting to get somewhere, but, but trying to do it a little too fast where it's like, man, if you just put your head down, like things happen two, three years can go by. It's like in the big scheme of things, it's not a long time and a lot can change, you know? So uh, I know we're, we're talking about interviews and, uh, but I think it's always a good, uh, you just, you get, I know guys get so caught up in the interview in applying for the next job where it's like, man, if you just quit worrying about that and just do a good job where you're at, things just happen. And, and really this, this resume and the, and the coach manual that you put together, it doesn't matter. 
because you, your work's already spoke for itself. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's a, a, a little quote I love. It says, take the long road. It's faster. And I think <laughs> a lot of times, you know, people like to, you know, not, not necessarily take shortcuts in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a matter of like looking for, Hey, what's the fastest route, you know, from a to B rather than just, as you said, Derek, doing a phenomenal job when in the situation that you're in, you know, I remember a friend of the show, coach Sweeney, when I first went down to Clemson, I met him for the first time, you know, we had re- a great year. We were, you know, doing really well. We were firing on all cylinders. And he said to me like, Hey, what's next for you? And I, th- he was really setting me up in this conversation that I had with him. And I said, you know, coach, I'm just trying to do a great job where I'm at. And he said, he smiled at me and he goes, that's exactly what I hoped you'd say. He goes, you got to bloom where you're planted. Hmm. Right? And yep. I think a lot of times guys are thinking, well, I want to parlay this into this. Right. And that, that's, that's the wrong, that's, that's bad for you. That's bad for your coaching staff. That's bad for your program. It's bad for your kids. If, if you're not present in what you're doing, uh, it, it's going to be a disservice to everyone everyone involved and it's going to it's it, honestly it's going to hurt you in the long run from getting that next job um and from getting that next opportunity it will it will show up but i think the, mo- the something that is important to focus on especially with you know coaching and the interview process like breaking in like a, I, I think something we should focus on is like there, there's three layers to this let's talk about the interview for a second because that's a, that's an essential part of getting hired right so so when you're interviewing for a job you're potentially interviewing, let's just assume you're, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it from a head coach's perspective, right? And then we'll work our way down. If you're interviewing for a job as a head football coach, how do you get that job? And how do you differentiate yourself? And how do you show value to a school, to an administration, to principals, all those people? And I think, you know, one of the things that I see in the interview process is that I've been through and, I've been the, and I always ask for feedback, all right? So number one, you, you have to go in with a plan and a purpose. Yes. If you're going into your interview, it's like a game. If you're going into your interview and just thinking like, well, I know what I'm going to talk about. I have some talking points. You're already in the second quarter down 17, nothing. <laughs> you, 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 the night before, two days before, you're going to have a list of everyone you're interviewing with. Get do some research. You know, I, as yes. I was joking around with with Derek, I I, I created dossiers on <laughs> people that I was interviewing with, and I knew what their backgrounds were, I knew what their interests were, and I aligned my talking points with those interests. Now, what I also did was I I provided a program outline, a very detailed program outline that I went to you know FedEx or UPS, whatever it was, printed out these hardbound copies. You know, spent a lot of money. And whether they were a football person or not, program outline philosophy, everyone got one. And I left something with every single person there, right? So beyond just like, hey, we're going to talk this, this, and this, do some homework and personalize the interview experience with whoever you're interviewing with. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, I think that's huge. I think understanding who you're interviewing with and what kind of stake they have in the greater, you know, again, we're talking about high school and college even, but the greater school culture and climate and how you're going to bring more value to the institution than just what you do on the field. And and I know, you know, a lot of coaches will have, you know, we'll do community service, we'll do this, we'll do that. But it's it's more than that. It's more about being like, how how can you align the football program's goals with the broader school's goals? Mm. And one of the one of the things that I kind of put out on Twitter today was, um, in, in just general advice that I think is really important is 
Um, I think it's really important that you come in with really great questions to ask. Yeah. Not that you've kind of thought of in the back of your head, but like on paper, like these are the questions I'm going to ask and they have to be great questions. And one of the things I love is from Stephen Covey in uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He says that, you know, you can demonstrate your, your understanding of a topic better by the questions you ask than the answers you give. Hmm. So don't wait for somebody to set you up with, you know, a softball for you to crush the answer out of the park, set yourself up by asking great questions. Hmm. Um, and, and that's one of the things that I've, you know, that I've noticed I've, I've been through interviews where I got the job, where I didn't get the job, you know, all over the board where it went really well, where it went, I felt like it went really poorly all over the board. And the common denominator was the interviews that went best were the were the interviews that I was asking a lot of questions and listening and the interviews that went poorly were when I was trying to prove how smart I was by talking. Mm, it's a great point, Dan. No, for sure. Uh, Chris, I think that also, I mean, it, and that's with anything too. It's like right now we're, we're in real estate in, in more of a sales role. It's like the, the meetings that you have, how much better are they when, when you're asking questions instead of mm. yeah, trying to pitch something? Mm. Um, so just generally speaking, it's like any sort of meeting, if you can go into it prepared with questions, it's uh, things are going to go because people like to talk. So when you, when you can make it easy for them, um, that those conversations go so much smoother. I mean, I think the worst thing you could do is for someone to say, do you have any questions for us? And be like, no, I'm, I'm all good. I'm good. Absolutely. Like it's, the worst thing you could do. It's such a missed opportunity. It, it really is. Right. Let's talk about, um, like the, like your presentation, you know, like I know, I know when I, when I, when I got the head football job at Mount St. Mary Catholic high school, I was 24 years old, had worked there for two years. Um, and as an assistant, I'm getting the head football job, I had no idea what to do. And literally <laughs> just ask my head coach that I worked for that. I was like, man, what? I've never interviewed for a football job at that point. Um, so He's old school. He's like, you need to come up with your manual, blah, 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 blah. So I go in I look back now and I'm like, God, I, I don't know why they <laughs> gave me that job. But the one thing I can pat myself on the back for is I think I presented well and I showed up. On, I was, I was, they, granted, the, the people that were interviewing me already knew me. I already had a relationship with them, but I treated it like, hey, I don't know these people. I got to go make a first impression. Some 24 show up suit and tie, shaven, clean, ready to go. Everyone had copies of my old school manual and <laughs> I, I, I gave the presentation of my life. But um, let's talk about like just, just the, the overall presentation. What's, what's, what's that look like? I think the like, right. Low hanging fruit are just like, Hey, like the visually, right. Like people make, and, and this is, this goes back to some psychological context, but like, people make, they're going to develop an assumption about you within the first 15 seconds of meeting you, right? Yeah. So how is your posture? How is your eye contact? How's your handshake? How's your dress? Like can't change necessarily their facial structure, right? But you can certainly change your posture and right. the way, you know, your, your tonality and like the way you direct, you know, directly speak to someone and, you know, how you, how you, how you look them in the eye or don't look them in the eye. You know, I think those are small and subtle advantages that you can create you know you're, you're talking about being the head football coach of a program right and so 
when you meet somebody, and this is what this is what you have to think about when you're interviewing. When you meet somebody, you know, this is for head coaches interview specifically. You have to be in your own mind thinking, "I'm the next head coach of the school." So, how does the next head coach of the school eat, walk, talk, dress, and address people? Right, and you need other people to buy into the vision of seeing you in that role. And if they don't, that's a, that's going to be a huge problem for you. And and that's I think that's a huge part of what you just said, Derek, is that presentation. And I think you know to add on to what you guys are saying, I think the interview process should be an opportunity, even if it's two minutes, for you to demonstrate your teaching style. Um, so for me, what I always try to do is whether it's you know a, you know film or PowerPoint or. Um, getting on the board with, you know, getting on the whiteboard with markers and going through an install and showing them like what an install would look like or what it like, what me teaching the young men in that program is going to look like. Uh, I think that's really important. I don't think, I think, and Chris mentioned this earlier, and I think it was a really good point. I think sometimes we go into interviews thinking it's about demonstrating like our football knowledge and like all the X's and O's we know and all the clinics we went to and all the film we've studied. It's not really that as much as in my experience, at least demonstrating that you can teach effectively. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, whatever that looks like, again, you may be meeting with the the principal and the, the guidance counselor, and they don't know anything about counter, but can you teach effectively? Can you engage them? Can you ask questions? Can you draw them into the teaching style? And I think that has a huge impact. I think any interview, whether it's interviewing for a head coach or interviewing with a head coach for a position coaching job, demonstrate your teaching style in some way, even if it's for two minutes, I think that has a, has a, a huge effect. And, and this is just me personally. I I'm, I'm somebody that likes to be on my feet when I'm teaching. Um, I, I say, you know, get, get up, stand up, like present, like, don't just sit there and, and drone on, like be dynamic. Um, and I think that goes back to Chris, what you were saying about posture and body language and enthusiasm. Like you can't convey your enthusiasm in an email but when you're in the room with somebody, you can convey your enthusiasm and yeah. it's through your body language. It's not through cliches. It's through your body language and, and the way that you, the, the way that you teach. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I have a personal philosophy, you know, in every room I'm in, I think that, you know, there are people who either they take energy, right. They drain energy or there are people who exchange energy and give energy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if energy can neither be transferred or uh, dist- created or destroyed, it can only be transferred, yeah. right. I mean, there's somebody sucking it or somebody's giving it. And I just, you know, I think that's something that I mentally try to go into every room with is like, I want to give energy to the people that I'm in this room with right now. Right. And just make it a cycle. Like you're giving me energy. I'm giving you energy. And we both feel a little bit more fulfilled when we walk out of here. And I think you can do that. You can create that in an interview, in an environment, you know, you might be sitting there and you might be in a situation where you're with somebody that you don't, um, you're, you don't vibe with, right. That's going to happen in an interview process. There's probably going to, I would say 35% of the people, 40% of the people you interview with on the school admin side are people that are going to not care about football the way that you do, or not have the passion for it the way that you do. Right. They can certainly walk out of that room feeling the sense of excitement, passion, leadership, and communication that you can provide to the school and the program. It's just, that's easy. That's low hanging fruit, man. It really is. And so um, I, I think people need to really, really consider that, you know, as they go through that interview fr- interview process is like, once again, what's a differentiating factor? My passion, my ability to communicate, my, my juice, for lack of a better term. Um, and I think that goes a long way mm-hmm. and it leaves a lasting impact. Um, have, have either of you guys been in interviews where uh, guys from the former staff were, were on the, the panel? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think we can touch on that because I know an interview that I had been on and uh, was completely young early in my career and was completely not prepared for that. So for like younger guys out there, hey, just a heads up, be prepared for coaches, assistant coaches to be involved in that and and be prepared to get grilled by those guys because guess what? They, they're probably in the room and they probably want that job and they're probably pissed that they didn't get the interview for it. So, right. so just heads up. And there's a chance um, that if you I, get I, the I, job, that they may be on your staff and you may not have right. complete control over that. And you have to learn right. to work with them. So, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So I, I think honestly, what I could speak to is I, I probably had the most unique situation in that I, the job I interviewed for the head coach decided he was, you know, he just wanted a, ch- a change. He just was, he had been, a, you know, a head coach for a long time and he was transitioning out. And so I was, essentially unable to bring all any of my own coaches along and I had to absorb the entire staff along with the head coach who remained on as an assistant Mm. and the program was not in a good place and so in the interview process I had to be incredibly delicate yes how I referenced the changes that I wanted to make and why right and and um, because you have people, whether they, you know, whether the high school program, whether you're winning or losing, everyone's invested emotionally, right? And there's an emotional component to that that people would take offense if you're not, you know, you don't address it appropriately. And it's like, I think there's two ways of saying everything, and uh, you can always say, hey, this is something that you guys did really well, but here's an area that I see improvement, and you soften that blow, right? In an interview. I think, you know, uh, it's, it's some, it's an area that it has to be sensitive. So imagine interviewing with the head coach of a program, knowing that he's going to be on your staff, if you get the job (laughs) and then trying to convey ways that you want to improve the program to get it to where you believe your standards are. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a very, very delicate area that I think, you know, you have to, uh, you have to tread lightly. Well, and I think, you know, we talked about the interview process a little bit, but once, once you say you get that head coaching job, I think a lot of high school coaches have this thought. I, I certainly did when I got the job was that, hey, I'm the head coach. I'm going to be able to hire whoever I want. It's going to be perfect world. We're all going to get along. Like I'm going to get my buddies to come with me. And the reality is like life gets in the way of that. And a lot of times you're you're put in a position of working with less than ideal circumstances. Like you can't just hire all your friends. They're not all going to move to your district and, and coach with you. Like it just doesn't work that way. And so I think going into it from like a a sober-minded perspective and even being able to, to explain in an interview process, your strategy for developing coaches, um, which is an incredibly awkward thing to talk about when you're a 24 year old interviewing for a head coaching job and your offensive line coach is like 50. (laughs) <laughs> and you're talking about developing coaches. You're talking about, um, you know, your philosophy, you know, especially when I was especially young, I had all these kind of radical philosophies of how we were going to do things. And what does it look like to talk to someone who's 50, 55, who's done things a different way the whole time. And so I think, I think as you're approaching this scenario, whether you're interviewing for a head coaching job or interviewing for a position coaching job, what does it look like for you to be a team player? Um, and foster a sense of camaraderie with that staff, um, even though you may be working under less than favorable conditions. 
Right. You know, and I think in those situations, it's uh, as coaches, we're all very prideful, um, especially as a young coach. It's like, it's all right to put yourself out there a little bit and, and let people, I, I remember similar scenario, first head coaching job, absorb some, some former coaches on the staff that were 10, 15, 20 years older than me. And I can remember tell, like, Hey guys, I do think I'm confident in my ability to do this job, but I don't know at all. And, Correct. and I yeah. am going to lean on you guys. Like, um, I don't know at all. You guys have, I, I'm, I'm still trying to figure this thing out. Um, and I think, people appreciate that. Yeah. No, I mean, I think there was a really powerful moment when I was starting out coaching and I had a coach on my staff who really empowered me quite a bit. And he kind of said, you know, Hey coach, like here, here are my thoughts. But at the end of the day, like you have to live with it. Like whatever decision is made, you have to live with it. And I think that was like, I really appreciated that coming from an assistant coach who was, who was older than me, um, had been coaching longer than me, uh, probably you know, by all accounts, probably should have been the head coach instead of me. Um, but that was such a cool moment for me in my coaching career was somebody just somebody disagreeing with me, but at the end of the day, acknowledging that, you know, I'm running this program and, and I have to live with it. Mm. And I think that's something good to remember, even if you're an assistant coach, that um, you may have really strong opinions about certain things. You may have disagreements with the head coach at times, but at the end of the day, um, they're in that position for a reason and they have to live with it you know, good, bad, or indifferent, they have to live with it. And, um, I have tried to keep that perspective, um, all the way through, I went from being a head coach to now I'm an offensive coordinator and I'm working, working for coach Steve Lee's here at Episcopal. And I've really enjoyed that process. And I constantly remind myself, like, this is his program and he has to live with it. Ultimately, like those big decisions he's got to live with and how can I support him and, um, and, and, and be a team player through all of that. Yeah, no doubt. I think, you know, one of the things, you know, we can talk about a little bit too is if you're interviewing for a job on the staff, not directly related to being a head coach, right? So if you're an office coordinator, defense coordinator, position coach, whatever that might be, your, your interview process is going to look different because yes. you're not necessarily going to go through the admin, you know, the, <laughs> the, you know, some of the rigmarole of, you know, school, principal, all that type of stuff. So now we're talking about kind of directly interviewing with the head football coach and, you know, what, how do you do that? How do you interview with that staff and, you know, basically show and add value to what they're doing. Um, and I think what's one of the things that's really, really important is going back to having a plan and having a purpose. Like if you are going into an interview as an offensive coordinator, let's just say Dan went into Episcopal and he interviewed last year for the job. They really, I mean, I think they really tried to get you more than they, you had to interview there, but um, I, that, I'm just joking, but that, that's how it should be. Hey, we, but We love each other. Of course. But, but um, I think you have to have the best understanding that you possibly can of what type of culture is this football program? What is their right. philosophy? What are the things they try to lean on? And how do you figure that out? Do a little bit of research, Got to. Call, some, call some rival coaches, reach out to people. Twitter is an amazing resource. Like there are so many op opportunities right now to find out anything you want about a football program. So that when you walk into the interview process, you can say, Hey, like, I know that one of the foundational principles of, you know, X, Y, and Z, uh, your program is X, Y, and Z. And imagine how much different that is from somebody who's like, Hey, let me show you guys how we run duo. Nobody cares. All right. Nobody cares on that. Like, <laughs> 
You, you've yeah. got to really figure out ways to align yourself with a staff. And then the football part takes over. Mm-hmm. Man, no, you just said it. You literally took the words out of my mouth. I was like, I'm, I'm about to say this and you, and you, you said it, but, um, I, I can clearly remember interviewing a guy who was a good football coach, but it was honestly a complete turnoff because the whole time he's like, you know, we did, we did it this way. We, we did. And, and it was never anything about, Hey, I saw you guys did this or, Hey, how do you guys do this? Right. It, right. Don't, don't be the guy that's like, oh, we did Cause, cause like Chris, nobody cares. I don't, I don't care what you did six years ago at Choctaw high school. I, I don't care. I don't care. How can you add value to, to my staff and our team? Right. Right. So, and like I said, it's, it's pretty simple. Like, do some research. It's all out there. It's it's not hard to prepare for things like that. Well, and Chris, like I'll go back to the point you made earlier. Like I totally agree, Derek. Like I've I've as a head coach been in, on interviews where I'm like, man, this guy really knows ball. Mm-hmm. But I just got bad vibes, right? <laughs> like I know that's like a, a stupid way to say it, but it's like this guy. He's it's an energy vampire. Um, <clears throat> all about himself, um, you know, will not buy into what we're trying to do. Mm. So I, I think a lot of head coaches are faced with this. And ultimately the decision that they come down to is, do I take someone who maybe knows a little less ball, but is going to buy into what we're doing and contribute to the overall program? Um, and that's why, you know, to, to be honest, if we're, if we're just being honest, like that's why you see a lot of these college programs, they're taking people that are super loyal with them to the next job. Right. It's not just the best ball coach. And we can talk about whether that's good or bad. I think, you know, different people have different perspectives, but I think it's, it's really easy to put yourself in a situation. You may be a really good football coach, but is your um, lack of humility the reason you didn't get a job. And I guarantee you there have been times where my lack of humility is probably why I didn't get a job because mm. I was sh- trying to prove how smart I was. Mm. And I think when I, when I really took a step back and I was like, nobody cares what I know um, because they can find somebody else that knows more at mm. the end of the day, they can find somebody else who knows more. Mm. Um, but am I going to, am I going to be willing to uh, put my ego to the side and do what's best for the program? And I think early on, I wasn't as willing to do that. And I'm trying to get better at that. And I think that that humility is really, that comes through like pretty clearly in interviews, whether or not you're willing to, to play with, play with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think like complimentary football, right. We can talk a little bit about that is like, what, what does that mean? I think that there, it's kind of a little bit of a double entendre, like being a complimentary football coach. Right. So like if you're an offensive coordinator or defense coordinator, as Dan said, like remove the ego. It's because it's not about you. If the defense pitches a shutout, the offense scores 60. At the end of the day, it's that everyone's in alignment. And as a head coach, right, all three of us who've been head coaches who have interviewed people, that focus is not just on like, do you know what you're doing on, you know, match quarters? It's can you align with the other members of the staff? Because here's the hard reality. And this is for head coaches that are listening that may be interviewing people. And I've had this experience. One bad coach will ruin an entire staff. 100%. 100%. It'll it'll crush your staff. One bad coach. And 
the, the, the problems that arise from that that trickle down to the players and everything like that, it's just not worth it. And so I think being intentional uh, in thinking about, you know, what that alignment looks like as you're interviewing people. And then those people who are interviewing, as Dan said, I think humility, humility is an amazing character trait, amazing character trait, especially when someone doesn't necessarily have to be because they're so talented at what they do. It's even better. And uh, I think that's really, really important. It's not false humidity, humility, excuse me. Correct. Uh, yeah. It's the, it's the right kind, right? Because false humility shows up pretty quickly as well. But, you know, I think I think doing it the right way and, and figuring out ways is like, as Dan said earlier, ask. Ask how you can fit into the staff. Ask how you can align with their culture. Ask how you can align the, with the head coach's vision. And you'll be amazed at what can come with that once you marry those principles with your coaching philosophy. I think, and this kind of goes back to something Chris was talking about earlier. I think one of the best pieces of advice that I got from a you know, an older coach who was kind of mentoring me through my first few years as a head coach, he said, hire slow, fire fast. Mm. <laughs> he mm. said, take your time, do your due diligence. Don't go falling in love with somebody from one phone call. Um, take your time call their res or references, like take your time hiring. And if you realize it's a bad fit, fire fast. Mm. Yep. And you yep. just have to, like, I, it's, it seems heartless to say on the outside, but Chris is on the money when he says that one bad coach can, can ruin your staff. And I think at the high school level, you know, it's so hard to get a full staff of coaches that can be at practice, that can buy into what, what's going on and be competent as well. It's so hard to do that. Trust me. I know. Um, and there was a time where my entire staff was made up of undergrad college kids that loved football and wanted to learn. And dude, that was, those were some of the most fun years mm -hmm. I ever had. Mm -hmm. Did they know a ton about football? No. Was I constantly teaching and were we constantly learning? Yes. But like the buy-in was there, like you can find someone who's hungry, who is going to buy in and it's way more worth it to get a, a freaking undergrad from the local college to come help out at practice, then have a coach that's going to try and submarine your season. Hundred percent. Yeah. No, I was just I was sitting here thinking it was like you know the, the same thing. It was like I can remember my first year as a head coach. I think I had ten or twelve on my staff, and it was just a complete. It was chaos. And my last year as a head coach, I think I had six. Yeah. That was Hair down. Year. I had the most fun coaching I've ever had in my life because I, I was working with six other guys that were very like-minded. We were working our tails off, but things went so much better because I had the right guys. Mm -hmm. um, it's the, the, the Jim Collins. It's, we had the right people in the right seats. No um, doubt. That's huge. You're, you're, you're so much better off um, with, with quality over quantity. Mm. Mm, absolutely. You know, one thing I'll, I'll share too, from a head coach's perspective, you know, and this is these, I think this, this applies to everyone listening. So let's talk about a, a job that's being posted. Okay. So a job's posted, let's just say it's out there on the football scoop or whatever football networks out there and you just get a flood of resumes. Okay. You know, can, you're, I, can, you're, I, can I stop you real quick, Chris, and not, not yep. to interrupt, but guys, you're, you're not going to get a job on football scoop. <laughs> <laughs> Not Please. the one you want. <laughs> For the love of God, stop scrolling football scoop and applying to every job on there because you're not getting it. Sorry, I, I, just, I had to. I had to. I had to. It's an excellent point. Maybe the best. Thing I mean, <laughs> nothing against the football scoop guys. I think they do great work, but you're not getting that job. 
<laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, that job's already been hired and that <laughs> job's been filled and they, they posted on Football Scoop so that they they filled their uh, the, the legal duties. Yeah, it's a legal duties. But <laughs> let's just say you find out about a job, right? It's a, there's a public posting for a job. I will tell you what I've done in the past. I um, di- This is how I we- have, was able to weed people out very, very quickly. I've made it very specific in asking how I wanted people to respond to the job posting. So yep. like I might've said in your email header, put or subject line, put asterisk, asterisk, job, you know, whatever, football coach, asterisk, asterisk. And if anyone they didn't do was, it. And, and anyone who didn't do it, I just deleted their email. Right? <laughs> Legitimately, because I knew that they couldn't follow directions. Like if you can't pay attention to that detail, then what can't, what else are you going to miss? Right. And that was something that I valued was detail. Another thing that I would do once I got to the interview process with people is I would purposefully get like, I would, if we were talking football wise, I would purposely get on the board and do something incorrectly, like something that I knew that they knew and I would do it incorrectly or write it incorrectly or use the wrong terminology. And I would like focus on that point to see if they would correct me. And if that individual would not correct me, I would be like, well, do I want this guy on my staff? Because he, he's just, you know, he's just sitting here. Yes, man. Yes, man. Do I want a yes man on my staff? And then I would bring it up to them after the fact. I'd be like, you know, did you know that I was calling inside zone power? Like, did you, you know, (laughs) and like, and you didn't want to correct me on that? You know, like. Chris, how many times did people walk out of the interview? Like this guy has no idea what he's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I'm out. I'm never working for Malaya. Malaya pulls the guard on inside zone. <sighs> no, I, always, I always found a way to correct it before they left. Right? <laughs> like, hey, 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 I, I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. I, I got this. <laughs> oh, and, you know, drop back pass, sprint protection, right? Like something silly, right? But, but you know, you, I want someone to correct me. I, I did it on purpose, you know? Um, so for head coaches out there, hey, listen, like, be on your game too. Don't just, don't just go in there and just like, you know, hope you match a guy and like, you got to do your homework. As Dan said, like hire slow, fire Mm -hmm. fast and and really think and be intentional and have a plan about the guys you're going to hire. Right. Yeah. I I think Chris, you make an interesting point about kind of, I guess you could say weeding out people. Um, And for me, what I, what I used to try and do in interviewing was I would try to get people out of like a typical football environment. So like I wouldn't meet them at my office and we get on the board and we just tar- start, you know, talking ball like football coaches do. I would take them to a local coffee shop and we'd sit down at a table. And yeah, I may have like a little notebook there or something if we wanted to draw something up. But I, I tried to get them in a situation that wasn't like, you know, too comfortable in terms right. of like the football world. And I think that helped me kind of get a sense for because because to be honest, I mean, a lot of football coaches they can put a show put on a show if you put them in front of a whiteboard, mm-hmm. and they can they can amaze you and dazzle you because they've got the chalk last. And for me, it was kind of like, all right, what does it look like for me to just literally sit down and have a cup of coffee with you, and for us to talk, and for me to dig into some of the other details and other important things. And what that evolved to was like every Friday. I would take my staff out and we would get a cup of coffee before the game and we would sit there and we would talk and we'd have a piece of paper if we wanted to go over some last minute things. But really it was just like the haze in the barn 
we're bonding. Like this whole process started with us going and getting a cup of coffee and every Friday night before the game, it was just like a staff bonding opportunity. And it, it got us out of football. It got us out of like obsessing and, you know, all these things. And I know that's kind of a tangent, but I think it's, it's valuable to think through as a, as a coach, or, you know, if you're, if you're interviewing people, take them out of their normal environment and see if they can be a human being. Mm-hmm. And you'll learn a lot in a short amount of time, whether or not you want to like, do you want to go get coffee with this person? Do you want to get a beer with this person? Like, do you want to spend time because you spend so much time with these guys? Mm-hmm. And if you want to spend time with them, like chances are you can iron out some of the details. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Um, yeah. Cause the reality is it's like, we talk about all the time, the coaching's a grind. You're, you're with those guys more than anybody for six, eight months out of the year um, at high school level. So you, you, you better, you better like them off the field too. No doubt. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I think it's, it's easy to talk about high school football, but I do want to just touch on college and the NFL. Cause there's yes. going to, we know we have those guys who are listeners in our, in our group. And, um, I will talk a little bit about that for at least one second, just because I've, you know, I've had some friends recently who've, you know, they've transitioned, they've lost jobs, whatever, you know, Mike Kafka is, you know, obviously the new office coordinator of the New York giants, a friend of our show. Um, you know, and I've, I've picked up a lot of things from him because of his rise and how quickly he's moved up in the profession. And what, you know, what are some things that he's done that have been different? And then, you know, other coaches that I've worked with, you know, I had a coach on my staff who's coaching, you know, at, at the, uh, the FCS level as a, um, as a position coach. And, you know, I take pride in those things is why I watched coaches on my staff move up. And it was like, okay, what are some things that they did in their interview process or that they got to college in the NFL that, you know, that made a difference for them. And, you know, I think going back to, okay, like, where's the value add? What can I do different? And when you're reaching out to staffs and you're looking to engage with someone, understand that just sending emails isn't going to do the trick. It's not correct. Um, it never will. Sending handwritten letters is not going to do the trick. And I, and I, and I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer to guys out there, but it is not the, the best use and resource of your time. Mm-hmm. Now I will tell you, I was a high school football coach and I had, I was fortunate. I had the email of every single NFL head coach, every single NFL offense coordinator, every single NFL defense coordinator. And you want to know what I got the best. And I would email guys, I would email head coaches. And then I realized that I didn't, I wasn't, providing value. I was just telling them how much I wanted to coach and right. they don't care. Right. And so I started to get the responses from people and I still, I've gotten responses from Super Bowl winning coaches, Super Bowl winning coaches who wrote me long emails back because I started documenting the plays that they were running and doing breakdowns of those plays in a very organized, unique way in with a technology that I basically created and started sending it to them and saying, hey, I really liked this play last week. This is this concept. And I would write questions and with little, you know, I would write notes with little questions and send it to them. You would be amazed when you try to engage with someone and you show them things that you're paying attention to that they're doing, how much they're they're gonna now take interest in you. Yes. They don't care if you write them an email. They don't. But if you if you show them that you can provide value or that you're intelligent enough to pay attention to what they're doing, you're paying intelligent enough to pay attention to detail. That is a unique value prop that I think that's lost on people. Yes. No, I I completely agree, Chris. I think that's, I think that's really good advice. It's like you talk about value add, you talk about paying close attention to what people are doing and, you know, ultimately demonstrating your ability to understand something 
through the medium of obviously doing the work and showing the work, but also asking the questions, intelligent mm. questions. Mm. Um, and I think that's why you've gotten so many responses and why, you know, why we've gotten so many great guests on our show is a lot of it. It's because of those relationships that you've fostered. Um, that that's certainly the case. And, you know, one of the things that I'll say, you know, in, in this conversation is I spent a lot of time reaching up, trying to get the attention of power five coaches, NFL coaches, hoping to find a spot on their staff. You know, I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, you know, sending emails, DMs, letters, you, you know, you probably got a hand, handwritten letter from me at one point. Um, I was that guy. Right. And, um, I think I spent so much energy on that, that one of the things that I neglected was that there were a lot of people that would often reach out to learn from me about something, even though I was a young coach. And I started to shift my perspective where I was like, you know, instead of trying to get someone's attention, I'm going to try and serve someone and, mm. and give someone a resource that can help them. Cause I'm fortunate enough to, I have, you know, great access to film and um, technology and different things like that, where I'm able to provide a resource for coaches to help them. And when I made that shift in my mind that I was like, you know, instead of trying to get somebody's attention, um, I'm going to try and help somebody. Mm. That was a huge shift for me. And it, ironically enough, that's when I got people's attention. Mm. was when I made that shift when I was mm. just, you know, at the bottom of the well yelling up and, you know, trying to get somebody, somebody to give me a job. Like nobody cared. Nobody wanted anything to do with me. And, and I wouldn't want anything to do with me either. Cause, cause I was probably just annoying. Right. But I think when I made that shift where I started trying to reach out and help people instead of just reach up to get attention, um, I think that was a big shift for me. And honestly, in making that shift, um, it's made me realize like, how grateful I am for what I do have. Mm -hmm. Not just, man, it'd be so awesome one day if I was coaching in the NFL. Like, you know, now I'm like, man, I get to coach at this incredible high school in Texas and I get to see my family all the time. Right. And the gratitude that that fostered in me, just like it's, it's changed my life where I went from, you know, grubbing for everything to really being content. Amazing. Oh, Dan. For sure. It's like, I mean, and here the thing is like, Dan, you know, it's like, if you're supposed to coach in the NFL, guess what? One day you're going to coach in the NFL because you're supposed to. Right. Right. So it just goes back to like, just God, just be happy where you're at and do a really, really good job there. Yes. Yeah. Do a really good job where you're at. And I, it's that, and, and you got like the best jobs that I've gotten or I've been offered. It's not because I've applied. Right. Exactly. The job I'm in right now, although not football related, like the past two, three jobs I've had, I never even turned in a resume. It was just due to the work that I had done previous and they heard about it or I had a connection and a relationship that I genuinely built right. and opportunities happen. No and doubt. It was never because I've, I came across a job post in the newspaper on Football Scoop and applied and had a great email. <laughs> it's like, no, newsflash, that, that, that's not going to work. Right. Um, so just... At the end of the day, just just be content, you know, be content, do a really good job where you're at, like be a, uh, you know, the, the corny saying, it's like, like water your own grass, you yeah. know, it, it, it's the truth, man. It really is. And have fun, man. Like you, you get to coach football, right? you know, like, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Like the, the impact you can have, the amount of fun you can have, like, there's nothing like the energy. I mean, I'm a high school coach. Like there's nothing like the energy of Friday nights. Okay. And watching young men who you've seen as freshmen grow into seniors and, you know, make a huge play in front of all their friends, like, and their families, like just have fun. 
I mean, we, we, I spent so much time like stressing about, you know, climbing a ladder and I forgot to have fun and man, I'll just tell you what, like if you, if you can like center yourself and like be present and have fun, uh, football coaching is, is one of the most rewarding things in the world. I, I truly believe that. It, it is. It was what you said, Dan, earlier is, is insanely profound. And I think we really should end with that because it's, it's about service. And if you, if everyone shifts that, that their mindset to what can I get to what instead to what can I give? Yeah. Then that, it's amazing how transformational that can be for an individual, for a coaching staff and for a team. And it's amazing on top of that, how much like the rapid ascension you can see in your professional and personal life if that is your mentality all the time. And yeah. uh, I, I, I just so happened today, Ed Milet, who, you know, Dan, uh, Derek knows who Ed Milet is. A, you know, look him up if you've never heard of him. He's got an amazing podcast. Um, Ed Milet is one of the greatest business minds of our lifetime. He's like the Jack Walsh of our generation and uh, is very accessible on Twitter, 2.3 million followers, all this different stuff, just wrote a book. And he's somebody that I've followed since, you know, 2017, 2018. And I would reach out to him on, on Instagram every now and then he would always get back to me, like found time for me. And now he's just blown up since then. And today I left him a message and he left me an audio message back. Right. This guy's one of the biggest personalities in the world, in the business world. He left me this audio message back and his message was exactly that. It was about service and how grateful he was that he was able to serve people like myself because of the impact that it can have on our lives. And um, it's, it's left me, you know, kind of thinking throughout the rest of my day, who can I serve and how can I serve them better? I think if we all start thinking that, um, you know, from a coaching perspective, from a husband's perspective, you know, from a, a, a you know, a dad's perspective, all those things, yeah. it's, you know, it's going to be incredible what kind of growth you can see in your life.